We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Fielding the 68 brought to you by Rhythm. As always, I am Kevin Sweeney, uh, joined today by Rocco Miller, Brad Evans, taking you through the field of 68's projected field of 68, uh, working our way uh, through the bracketology predictions as we inch closer and closer to conference tournament week, closer and closer to Selection Sunday. A lot to get to, gents. Rocco, uh, out on the West Coast, how are we feeling, sir? Feeling great, Kev. Good to be back with you. Uh, great weekend, right? Uh, some more impressive and somewhat surprising results to get to. Um, you know, I think we'll talk a lot about that Air Force win over New Mexico, won't we, Kev? Man, I mean, I know bracketology is not necessarily attempting to predict what will happen in games in the future, but but Rocco was Rocco was down on the Lobos. He probably got some heat on, on social media, whether he was predicting an Air Force loss or not. Uh, certainly, uh, his his uh, pessimistic view on, on things for things in Albuquerque looking uh, perhaps a bit more prescient than we might have expected. But uh, Brad, yeah, big big weekend of basketball. Tons of tons of action, especially around the bubble. Uh, do you have some major takeaways that you saw over the weekend of, of, of results that you think will, will really have moved the needle? Oh, yeah. I mean, there were a number of results that certainly moved the needle. And uh, most importantly, I think uh, let's start in, at Wake Forest uh, and that colossal win they had against the Dukies, baby, slam, bam, jam. But unfortunately, did a whole lot of that uh, late in the game as the Demon Deacons uh, got a desperately needed quality victory. Now, the resume right now, they only have one quarter one overall, but they've been of a bit of an advanced metrics darling, a team that is top 20 in Kempom. Hovering around the same vicinity there, according to you know some of the data there at Haslametrics, or you're looking at Bar Torvik, but uh, looking at the bubble, a lot of those residents in Bubbleville are rather sickly uh, and unsightly in nature. But Wake Forest, given the full body work, they may not have a plethora of quality one or quarter one wins, but they have done enough, I think, to say, hey, uh, they are on solid ground. For the NCAA tournament, but they could be, as it stands now, Dayton bound, but still an enormous win at home against uh, the Duke Blue Devils. And of course, all we're talking about is a stupid court storming and Filipowski enrolled ankle, bang knee, whatever it is. All I care about is the fact that Demon Deacons won and they also cashed in at minus two and a half. So thank you, Forbes, for getting it done there at Wake Forest. 
Maybe the biggest win of the Steve Forbes era. Hunter South was phenomenal. Uh, happy for that week, too. I think that's a, that's a group that anyone who has watched has seen the talent level uh, and to see them break through a little bit and have an opportunity now to, you know, certainly not a lock at this point, Rocco, to be a tournament team, but uh, certainly think that that win puts them much more strongly in the conversation and sets them up well to be a tournament team should they finish strong, right? Yeah, they, they got to finish strong. We'll talk more about them as the show goes on. They've got four games to go, two at home, two on the road. I, it, You know, the win over Duke checked a big box, as Brad mentioned. They didn't have a high-end quad one win. Now they have that. I don't think Duke's going anywhere in that regard. Duke's got a lot of great marks themselves. So that win should carry through the last couple of weeks here. Now, the, the part that's really been missing for Wake is damage away from home, which there's very limited amount. Uh, they're just one in seven in road games in a, against the top two quads. Their best road win is Boston College. So a critical week for Wake ahead. There's no rest for the wicked if you're Wake Forest because they go to Notre Dame and they go to Virginia Tech. Stuff for uh, the types of games that everybody can overlook, you know, on a broad sense. But for bracketology, those games are massive uh, because they at least need to split them. And if they can win them both, then they're starting to get in a little bit more reasonable territory with their road record. Again, their road neutral record as a whole is three and nine. It's pretty poor. They're only winning 25% of the time away from Winston. Salem. Uh, so that's a massive problem, Kevin. Yeah, 100%. Certainly not an unimpeachable resume at the moment for the Deeks, but that, that felt like a game they had to have and they got it. Uh, moves them, you know, at least, at least a little bit closer uh, towards hearing their name called on Selection Sunday for the first time under Steve Forrest. Back, back to you, Rocco, uh, on the question of who hurt themselves most this weekend, because uh, I know we had talked yeah. about, you know, the Lobos and, and their, their quad four loss to, to Air Force. Um, may or may not have knocked themselves out of the projected field. We will talk about that uh, with our consensus here in the second segment with the bubble. But just how damaging is that that result for, for New Mexico's hopes of getting back to the tournament for the first time in a decade? Yeah, of course it's damaging. I think their you know their strength of resume was in the mid 40s last Friday going into the weekend, and they woke up this morning and their strength of resume is almost 60. They're 59th. Again, you can't you can't get into a tournament or out of the tournament just based on a metric. It's always your body of work. New Mexico still has five wins against the field. They have a sweep over Nevada. Uh, they have pretty good records or at least average records in all the important quadrants. So there's still quite a bit of reason to put them in, but now there's just an extra reason to leave them out, right? So um, in, in an interesting way, it wasn't like the part of their resume that really just couldn't take a hit. It was actually the part that could. Um, so New Mexico's right there on the cut line, in my opinion. But of course, a, a devastating result uh, for a one singular uh, unit of, of time. Now, the other teams that stood out to me, especially by the bubble, Michigan State for the second straight home game takes a loss to a team that's not going to be in the tournament uh, on a buzzer beater yesterday against Ohio State. That put Michigan State a little bit more under the microscope than before. Now they have four home losses. They have a four and seven road neutral record. So kind of no matter where they're playing, not exactly what you want. Uh, the good thing for the Spartans is two things. One, they're still a top 25 team in the net. Two, uh, they have three games left, two of them against tournament teams. So they, I think no matter how they go two and one, uh, they'll find a way into the tournament. Uh, the, the remaining games are at Indiana, at Purdue, and home Northwestern. Of course, a win at Purdue combined with anything is going to be enough. Uh, if, if you assume they lose the Purdue game but win the other two, I think that's still enough. So uh, if you're a Spartans fan, you got to get to that 2-1 and one to finish. Uh, so that was a big result yesterday. And last but not least, 
Um, I thought the BYU loss against Kansas State continues to put the Cougars a little bit more into question. Uh, obviously a performance data darling all year long. Uh, that's slowly starting to rot. They're down to 18th now when they were in the top five for a lot of the season. Uh, and they're just one in six now away from Provo uh, in top two quadrant games. Um, so every time they're tested on the road, besides the win at UCF, which again, UCF's not a tournament team. Uh, they're, they're, they haven't been able to prove themselves away from the Marriott Center. Yeah, Brad, I think it's interesting to look at you know, some of these teams you know, still top 25 in Ken Palm, but not necessarily 100% secure just yet because of you know, resume concerns. Really, 18 through 21 on Ken Palm, 18 BYU, 19 Wake Forest, 20 Michigan State, and, and 20 Gonzaga. Putting you on the spot here, is there a team of that group that you're maybe most concerned about missing out on Selection Sunday? Yeah, it's got to be the Gonzaga Bulldogs, guys. Uh, you know, you're talking about full body work. Yeah, they have a lopsided record, but the nitty gritty is uh, very unexciting uh, overall. Um, you know, I'll give it to you right now. Number 105 overall in strength of schedule. Now, the non-conference strength of schedule is going to be critical, I think, in swaying the selection committee and possibly elevating them into the at-large field because they played a top 25 overall non-conference strength of schedule. And what the committee has always said, it's all about, you know, challenging your, your kids out side of the league and mark few does that consistently and rightfully so uh, when you're facing uh, generally roleful competition at times outside of uh, st mary's and san francisco they're in the wcc uh, team that is six and two straight up on the road this season but they're just one in five this year in quarter one wins and of course that single quarter one a massive one at Rupp Arena against University of Kentucky, who is flourishing right now, looking like a Final Four contender. Now, here's the good news for the Zags. Uh, they could take care of business here down the stretch. You got a semi-away game because it's going to be played at the Chase Center uh, where the Golden State Warriors played against San Francisco. Got to win that one. And then you got that uh, on the East Bay side of things matchup against St. Mary's. Even if they split in those affairs and then you know barrel the way all the way to the final, of the WCC tournament in Sin City, uh, possibly, it seems like a collision course rematch against St. Mary's. It can best them there. Obviously, they then would get the automatic berth, but even if they won their last two regular season games and then lost the WCC final, they did shake out uh, for them to face St. Mary's. I still think the Zags are in, but margin error, uh, pretty slim for them overall because the meat of the resume really does not exist. Yeah, look, I think big picture for Gonzaga feels like they have to beat St. Mary's once. If they beat them in the regular season, then they have a decent chance to get in, regardless of what happens in the WCC tournament. Obviously, if they beat them in the WCC tournament, very good chance that they're that automatic qualifier. Uh, it'd be shocking if the bracket shook out any other way. So um, I think I might be a lock at this point, given the results that have happened in the WCC. Rocco, maybe the expert on that league, could correct me if I'm wrong. But either way, uh, we do have to get to our one seeds. Uh, which always leads our first segment of the night. Uh, let's reveal our consensus number one seeds. Uh, no changes since Friday. We had kept Arizona on the one line after that loss to Washington State. All four of these teams uh, this weekend had no issues. Purdue uh, knocking off Michigan, UConn over Villanova. Houston, that overtime thrilling victory over Baylor. And then Arizona State um, you know, finding a way past Washington uh, to secure themselves again more more, more stably uh, in the NCAA tournament or in the number one seed line, of course, Arizona's in the NCAA tournament. Um, 
guys, your thoughts on the one line, Rocco? Any any consideration? I know we talked uh, on Friday about you know, keeping Arizona. Were you were you still with Arizona on on the top line that last number one seed? I was, but it wasn't easy. Uh, I think North Carolina's win at Virginia, of course, shrunk the gap even further. Arizona, all they had in front of them on Saturday was a, you know, a, a little bit of a game where they were pissed after losing to Wazoo. Took it out on uh, my hometown Huskies by by an easy sixteen. That game was over early, but um, you know, from a bracketology standpoint, North Carolina gained more ground by winning on the road against a tournament caliber team. I think now when you do the comparison, um, you, you see that. They both have seven wins in quad one. Arizona with the four high quad one wins, still a little bit better than North Carolina's three. And then I think, you know, the one thing North Carolina does have going for them is that amazing seven and one record on the road against top two quad teams. Uh, it's the second best in, in the country behind St. Mary's, who's four and oh and doesn't have as much data. Um, but I think you look at the performance side of things, Arizona's got the edge there. You look at um, just basic records, it's pretty even uh, across the board. So I think. The fact that Arizona was the choice with the committee, I don't think they've done enough to undo that, to take themselves off the one line. However, with Carolina still playing Duke later this year on the season's final day, I don't know if there's anything Arizona can do to stop North Carolina from passing them um, because they don't have a game like that left. Yeah, that, that will certainly be a uh, highly watched game for a number of reasons, but uh, not 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 the least of which bracket considerations, Duke and Carolina, always fun. Brad, your thoughts on on the top top seed line was it did you have what we have as our consensus or any shakeups you might have considered? Yeah, no difference at all. I will make the argument for, for the Tennessee Volunteers, though. However, still in contention for a number one seed as well. And you might say, well, Brad, they're just four and five against quarter one competition, uh, but they do have you know key out of conference wins at home against Illinois and then on the road against Wisconsin, and that will weigh considerably in the selection committee room. And here is the best possible turn of events for the VOLS. Uh, the rest of the season schedule, murderers row, so lots of quarter one opportunities. Opportunities. You're at home against Auburn. Uh, you're on the road then against the Crimson Tide of Alabama, then at South Carolina, and you finish with Kentucky. Let's say hypothetically the Volunteers go, I don't know, three and one in those games. Uh, obviously, the string schedule, which is at 26 right now, is going to skyrocket. It could balloon inside the top 15. Uh, they're very strong net rating overall, number five presently. Uh, but if you add those, uh, you know, very important and weighty quarter one victories and then make a stirring run in the SEC tournament, they're going to have a very strong argument to have their name called on a number one seed line on Selection Sunday. And yes, I did wager on it. Plus 230, I grabbed them this morning to be a number one seed in the end. Yes, Tennessee, certainly opportunity, the name of the game for them. They have, they have plenty left on their schedule. Uh, and I think that's that's probably the the story of this uh, this top line race is the the opportunities or lack thereof for Arizona compared to North Carolina getting Duke, obviously Tennessee with these opportunities that you listed, Brad, uh, even Kansas with, with what they have left on the board in the Big Twelve. Uh, those teams all trying to surge up, swept that fourth number one seed. Should be a lot of fun to watch that storyline evolve here as we head down the stretch towards Selection Sunday. When we come back, bubble talk. Last four in, first four out. The guys reveal their picks. As you guys know by now, we've partnered with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for the listeners and the viewers of the Field of 68 as we all get ready for the best month of the year. 
March Madness. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, you can use the bonus code FIELD150 and you will get $150 in free bets on your first wager with BetMGM, regardless of whether or not you win that first bet. Here's the best part. All you need to do is deposit and bet $5 of your hard-earned money. This is how you make it work. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using the bonus code FIELD150. That's FIELD150. Deposit at least $5 and place your first wager on any game. You will receive up to $150 in bonus bets regardless of the outcome of your bet. Just make sure you use that bonus code FIELD150 when you sign up. And remember, BetMGM is now available in one wallet in select states. As a New Jersey resident, this is super convenient when I have to go cover games in Philly or New York, which happens quite a bit. When you cross state borders, you just log into your existing account and fire away. You don't have to create a new account in each state. It's easy, it's simple, and it's clean. And most importantly, we have some fun stuff coming up for the conference tournaments and for the NCAA tournament. Bet insurance tokens college hoops odds boost and my personal favorite a nice little parlay boost here and there so download the bet mgm app and sign up today we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use indeed the better it gets Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We are fielding the 68, Field of 68's Bracketology Show. I am Kevin Sweeney, joined today by the experts, Rocco Miller, Brad Evans, taking us through their projected fields of 68. A uh, lot to get to, folks, as always, but uh, this is the time every every episode that we go into the bubble. We break down our last four in, our first four out. Who is feeling good right now? Who should be sweating a little bit extra as we emerge uh, towards that month of March? Start with you, Rocco. Take us through your last four in. How, how did things shake out for you as you were you were forming your cut line this morning? So I landed with Michigan State, Providence, Wake Forest, and New Mexico. Uh, Michigan State, we touched on at the top of the show, takes another home loss. It's their fourth home loss of the year. And they're again, they're four and seven away neutral. And they have a 13 and 11 record when you remove their quad four activity. So Again, they've got three games to go. If they go one and two, they're going to be in the danger zone in all those categories even further. Uh, for today, I would expect, you know, with the remaining schedule, again, at Indiana, at Purdue, and home Northwestern, they can get to two and one. That gets them another win against the field. Uh, right now, they're three and eight against teams against the field. That's another kind of sore spot. Um, but again, 
besides those two home losses to Iowa and Ohio State, not a whole lot of bad either. Um, so the Spartans are, are on their way to Dayton, and I don't think the executives at True TV would mind that. Um, Providence, I, I think, you know, the, the same issue as Friday, Kevin, we don't need to elaborate. Providence didn't play this weekend. So same boat, eight and nine when you remove the 10 quad four games. Um, so they're very risky. However, uh, the, the finish is going to tell us everything we need to know. They, they end at home against Villanova and UConn. They can beat anybody in that building, so you can't even put the UConn game past them. Uh, that, that's the last game of the season. The environment will be off the charts. They have a bonus game at Marquette coming up next. Uh, obviously, nothing to really lose there, but, they, again, a loss puts them 8-10, and 10, so they're a little further behind the, the 500 marker uh, just by losing that game. And then the other road game is at Georgetown, which you can't overlook either for obvious reasons. That's going to be Georgetown's Super Bowl game at home, trying to get revenge with Ed Cooley. Uh, so Providence, I think they're going to tell us everything we need to know by the end for today. This is where they sit. Wake Forest, we covered a little bit earlier. Again, two huge games on the road, Notre Dame, Virginia Tech this week. I think they need to at least split those. Uh, very poor marks on the road at one and seven against the top two quadrants and three and nine overall away neutral. Uh, they finish with home games with Georgia Tech is a must win at home, of course. And then a season finale against a tournament team, Clemson. Um, another chance to just kind of further cement their their bid on that day if everything goes smoothly this week. Last but not least, the New Mexico Lobos, the hot topic team. Uh, resume markers took a, a severe beating after the Air Force loss. However, a, as mentioned earlier, they still have five wins against the field. They're five and four in their nine chances against tournament caliber competition, including a sweep over Nevada. Uh, they have, you know, they're not in that crazy 300 plus non-conference strength schedule, although the 271st non-conference strength schedule is still a tough uh drink of Pepto-Bismol for you. So uh, what's left? You've got, you've got road games at Boise State and Utah State. Thank you, Mountain West, for giving us those because that they're going to need one of those two. There's no question about it. If they win them both, I think they're comfortably back in. And, of course, you can't choke in the home finale against Fresno State. That's all they got left. So I think if they go two and one, they'll find their way in. Makes me feel a little more comfortable forecasting them as the final team in the field today. It's going to be interesting to see all four of those teams navigate their final schedules. Some some huge, meaningful games for all four. Uh, I will be at that Providence game on Wednesday against Marquette. That uh, also that Wake awesome. Forest game against Notre Dame tomorrow. So uh, I, I will. I'll be. I'll, I'll do some some note taking and come back on Friday with with everything you guys need to know. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Brad, awesome. take us through what what is what do things look like for you last four and any any big changes from where Rocco had things. Yeah, slight variation on my list. Uh, go ahead and bring it up, guys. Uh, my last team uh, that I have into the field right now is, uh, believe it or not, at the bottom of the list here, Texas A&M. I don't know what the hell to do with the Aggies, to be honest with you guys, uh, because you look at the overall resume. Yeah, number 58 in the net, but they have played a top 10 strength of schedule, including number 22 in non-conference play. Uh, it's got to weigh heavily in the selection committee room, just four and six straight up on the road five and six against quarter one competition nothing to scoff at there but the four that's right four quadrant three losses uh definitely throbbing black eyes on the resume but here's the good news for texas a&m you got south carolina at home you're at georgia you got mississippi state and then at ole miss you want to talk about the definition of bubble issues 
Uh, that could be that final game in the SEC regular season against the Rebels in their house. So if they can go you know, somehow three and one, I know they're skidding right now, and they can right the ship. Uh, they can maybe solidify their ground and make up uh, for a lot of those ills that are on the resume. Uh, Gonzaga there, uh, one of the last teams I also have in, uh, for all the reasons I already mentioned earlier, got to split against St. Mary's, got to beat San Francisco with Chase. Uh, they look at Wake Forest. Uh, you know, we already mentioned it. Ginormous W against Duke. Uh, at Notre Dame, at Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, and Clemson to finish. Uh, really got to, you know, finish strong there. Probably go 3-1 to one to feel uh, nice and comfortable going into Selection Sunday. And then Seton Hall, really, I think there is a pretty wide gap between them and the other three in this equation, uh, just due to the fact that they are five and four, five and four straight up away on the air and five and five in quadrant ones. Uh, they do have a couple of bad losses on the resume, uh, but looking at the opportunities at Creighton, at UConn, Villanova, and DePaul, obviously, I think they'll defend home court with relative ease. Uh, somehow, Subway maybe split against Creighton and UConn. Even if they drop those two games, win a game or two in the Big East tournament, they should go dancing. So it's how it's shaken out right now. My last four teams in. Yeah, the, the A&M inclusion is certainly a, an interesting one. I think one that will be uh, watched throughout uh, as we head to Selection Sunday. I think their resume and Villanova, somewhat similar in the regard of tons of really good wins. But not only do they have a weird record, a, a, a bad overall record, they have those unsightly losses against Quadrant Three. It'd be interesting to see if, <laughs> if, if we're willing to make an exception. You know, when, when we're talking, you know, there's usually one or two teams a year who can be in the mix despite having 14, 15 losses. If we're talking about those teams being Villanova and AM, who have you know three and four quad three losses respectively, that that may not age well for, for those clubs. But it'd be very interesting to see how it plays yeah. out. Those two, those two, maybe the most interesting resumes we will study here throughout. Uh, the month of March. Uh, let, let's take our take us through our consensus real quick. Last four in with all of our bracketologists, starting with Providence. Uh, as we said, did not move after playing, not playing over the weekend, but probably helped by some bubble struggles elsewhere. Gonzaga, Wake Forest, and New Mexico staying in the field as the last team in uh, certainly would be good for their security to find a way to win one of those road games, as Rocco said, but uh, also have that home game against Fresno and then Mountain West tournament time to try to establish themselves as a tournament team. Again, Richard Pitino's team looking for their first trip to the NCAA tournament since 2014. Um, how about who missed the cut? Brad, take us through first four out for you. Where do things stand? Yeah, my pecking order right now, uh, my first four rats started with the Butler Bulldogs, uh, and a team that uh, similar to Texas A&M, uh, again, you look at uh, the overall resume, it's all about strength of schedule for that squad. You know, pay no attention to the whole, like, you know, number 62 net, you might say, oh, my, I, I can't get on board with that, but that's more or less a sorting tool in the selection committee room. They're going to look at other particulars, and, and again, that strength of schedule being top five nationally should do them wonders, though they're just three and seven and road games straight up the season. 3-11 against Quadrant 1 competition. No bad losses. So they still have a fighting chance with St. John's at DePaul. Xavier, all games uh, are completely winnable 
uh, on the agenda moving forward. Uh, then, meanwhile, you look at Utah, uh, a team, um, you know, again, another uh, squad with a strong strength of schedule, number 20 in the country, a non-con, a number 27 strength of schedule, three and seven on the road. Unfortunate uh, for them. And three and seven in quarter one competition. They have the bad loss. Their rest of the season schedule, not a whole lot of opportunity there. Stanford, uh, you got Cal, you got at Oregon State, and you got Oregon. Ole Miss, uh, a little bit further down the list, but they have a couple of key games remaining. Alabama, and as I mentioned, two at home against Texas A&M in the regular season finale. Uh, then I had Cincinnati there at the bottom of the list. Uh, again, a team, uh, some decent uh, advanced analytics and metrics that are out there, but we're really drags down the profiles. They're number 319 non-conference strength of schedule, but uh, at Houston, obviously a colossal game there. Kansas State at Oklahoma to the quarter one opportunity in West Virginia. The door is still ajar for the Bearcats to scratch and claw their way into the field. Yes, 100%. Cincinnati, uh, I think any Big 12 team, for as long as they have three or four games left on the schedule, you you win those, all of a sudden it can turn in a hurry for you. Cincinnati hoping that the, the luck changes here shortly. Rocco, can you can you take us through your first four out? Any, any disparities you might have had with, with Brad's group? We do have some similarities here, and I'm throwing in a couple off-the-grid type of teams in the middle here. Um, so we'll start with Ole Miss. You know, I, I actually think Ole Miss, what impresses me is the fact that they've only lost one game all year to a team that's not going to be in the NCAA tournament. That, by far, is the best on the bubble. The problem is they haven't beat enough teams uh, to justify inclusion either. So they're really just stuck um, because with the 328th-ranked non-conference trade schedule and you're this close to a cut line, historically that's a TKO punch. Uh, you know, so they're they're sitting there waiting for a big win or a, a cluster of two road wins to finish that could change uh, their fate. And they've got that opportunity coming up against Alabama at home this week and then two more road games later. Um, so watch out for the Rebels. They're close. And, they, again, they're going to want to be clear of the cut line by a couple spots because that, that non-conference of the schedule historically says see you later. Um, James Madison's next. And I have them there mainly because – we have to take 36 at-large teams. And the bottom line is you, there was enough reason today to leave New Mexico out as we covered. And I could easily see the committee being in a situation where if James Madison makes it to the Sun Belt championship game and loses to Appalachian State for the third time, obviously their case to the committee is only two teams beat us all year. That was Appalachian State and Southern Mississippi on the road. Besides that, we won at Michigan State and we beat everybody else on our schedule. And the, and the typical yada yada about, you know, not getting teams to play us. Also, Keith Gill, Sunbelt Commissioner, on the committee. I think James Madison, as long as they sit around this spot, you can defend taking them. They're also a top 40 resume team. Next, I have Cornell as the Ivy champion. I know some of our other bracketologists had Princeton as the champion forecasted. If Princeton is in the at-large field like I have them, I think they're a very interesting team to debate as well. Uh, they only played three teams in the top quad 2A. They played zero teams in quad one. They happen to lose all three of those games, but they're all top 100 road losses. They also happen to have 11 road wins, and they beat every single team on their schedule besides those three teams. 
Uh, so Princeton's like, what do you do if they lose to Yale or Cornell in the championship? They also get Cornell again on March 2nd this Saturday. It's just a wild combination, kind of an unprecedented if, if they get to that Ivy final and don't win it. Um, and we all know what the Tigers did in the tournament last year. The one thing working against Princeton is no Ivy members, at least uh, directly affiliated with the league right now, on the selection committee. Uh, so that's a nod to James Madison. Uh, last but not least, Butler, who Brad had. Again, they're staying close due to those powerful road wins at Creighton and Marquette. However, right now they're 10 and 12, a uh, couple clear games under 500 in meaningful action. They have such a manageable finish with St. John's and Xavier at home. Also, by beating St. John's, that could deliver Rick Patino a knockout punch uh, and get another bubble team out of their way. And then their only road game left is DePaul. So you finish 3 and 0 if you're Butler, you get a 19 and 12 final record before Big East tournament, and even out that um, overall, you know, takeaway quad four record at 12 and 12. I think that would be enough to get Butler back in. I'm not sure that it's a win in your in game, but St. John's versus Butler on Wednesday may be a losing your out game in terms of Ooh, making being yeah. in the real conversation yes. to make getting that large yes. bid. St. John's, if they can win, finish three straight, make a win a game or two in in the Big East tournament, they're going to be right in the mix. But for now, obviously, already on the outside looking in and could really use that. And Butler has to stop that four-game losing skid, especially with you know DePaul being one of the two games left. You want to be able to move the needle. The only the only downside to playing DePaul at the moment is it doesn't help you to beat them all that much. Uh, let's let's reveal quickly <laughs> no. here our consensus first four out um, that all of our bracketologists who contributed to the show put together. Villanova, interestingly, our first team out of the field. Uh, expected that after I saw them in a couple of, uh, of fields here uh, in the last you know day or so. Again, very much towing the line at 15 and 12. Have to find a way to get over that hump from a record standpoint. But uh, the wins certainly there. Neutral North Carolina, very powerful. A&M, uh, we mentioned, as well as having a, a, a funky uh, resume. We'll see how that develops. Utah, an interesting team in that they built such a powerful resume in the non-conference without anyone really noticing, beating Wake Forest, beating St. Mary's, on beating BYU, uh, those are all three, I believe, top 20 or top 25 Ken Palm wins at the moment. Uh, so, so those wins at the time maybe didn't feel like huge games, but uh, they certainly look like them now. And then Butler, uh, who we just mentioned, also on the outside looking at as things stand today, but time to fix it for the Bulldogs. All right, when we come back, conference check-in time. We'll get the guys' thoughts on the Big Ten, the SEC, the ACC, and much more right here on Fielding 68. There is nothing in sports better than the heart of the college basketball season, which is why I need to tell you guys about our partners over at Rhythm. If you're into sports betting, you need Rhythm, the place for data-backed props and picks. For those that are unfamiliar, Rhythm, spelled R-I-T-H-M-M, is the go-to mobile app for player props and game picks. Backed by AI predictive models, Rhythm helps you make smarter and faster betting decisions across all sports, but particularly college hoops, where there are as many as 150 games a day during conference play many of which have softer lines at BetMGM than you'll find in the NFL or the NBA. With Rhythm, you get data-backed picks for every Division I game every day. Users get free picks daily with the ability to upgrade to unlimited access. And for those of you already using modeling, you can build custom sports betting models within the Rhythm app itself. I am a Rhythm user, and I found that I've been a better better when I focus on lines where my gut and Rhythm's modeling are aligned. When I think UConn can cover on the road against Butler and Rhythm backs that up, we fire. 
but rhythm also helps lead you to plays that you didn't know you needed to make. Like, for example, when the data says bet the over in UMass Lowell versus New Hampshire because you have a 61% edge on that line, you bet the over and you bink. So if you want to increase your edge and win more bets, go to the link in the description below and download Rhythm today. That's R-I-T-H-M-M, the place for data-backed props and picks. Back on Fielding the 68, brought to you by Rhythm. That is Field of 68's Bracketology Show. I'm Kevin Sweeney, joined by Rocco Miller, Brad Evans, taking you through our projected field. We just went through the bubble. Uh, now it's time to check in on some conference races, some leagues that may be trending up towards having a couple of more bids than we might have expected, some leagues trending down. We've got a lot to get through here on this segment, and and I'll start with with Brad, who's, who's in Big Ten country. Uh, we already talked about Michigan State, you know, not solidifying themselves with those two, two rough losses. But on the other side of things, it does feel like Nebraska is is inching its way towards the tournament. Four straight wins, one at Indiana on Wednesday, held serve at home, really dominated against Minnesota on Sunday. How, how do you see the Cornhuskers' hopes of, of getting back into the big dance? Oh, man, they're on very solid and not spongy ground where they were maybe 10 days ago, two weeks ago. Uh, I think this team is uh, really – uh, etch their place into the at-large field. Uh, I know the uh, road record is still uh, rather ghastly there at two and seven overall, but uh, they are four and six against quarter one competition. They don't have any black eyes in that quarter and three, quarter and four loss on the resume. Uh, you look at the overall net, number 41, overall strength is scheduled to 68. Yes, the drag for them and some of those debates inside the selection committee room in Indy is the fact that they were number 322 in non-conference strength the schedule, uh, the remaining overall schedule at Ohio State, the Buckeyes have suddenly just come alive here. You fire head coach, and now you start winning games. Uh, obviously, that uh, enormous one they had over the weekend uh, against Sparty, the party ended there at the buzzer. Uh, then you got Rutgers at home, and then you're at Michigan. So uh, I think Nebraska it can win two of the next three games, even if they have a hiccup there against Ohio State win like a game. I think just one is really all they need in the Big Ten tournament. They should squarely be on the 10 seed line, uh, maybe a high 11 outside of Dayton at a minimum. So I'm feeling really good about the Huskers right now. That that win over Purdue for, for Nebraska certainly worth its weight in gold, uh, given where the, yep. the Boilermakers stand on that seed list. Uh, also in the Big Ten, Rocco, uh, Illinois and Wisconsin, two very different resumes, two teams that have been jockeying for position in the Big Ten. Feels like they've been right around that four, five seed range. Do you have a, a preference when you look at those two resumes? I know Wisconsin has a few more quad one and two wins, but Illinois, the metrics seem to favor a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I give a slight edge to Illinois because the actual selection committee had them one spot higher, but I, I think they're neck and neck for different reasons. Illinois, the more clean profile, but not the, the, the thing they're lacking is the high quad one win. Their best win away from home is still Florida Atlantic on a neutral, a very nice win, but not you know not beating Purdue or not beating a, a top 20 level team away from home. So um, Illinois has got chances to play at Wisconsin this Saturday. So that's going to help settle a lot of that. If Illinois wins that, they're clearly above them. If Wisconsin narrowly wins, then maybe we still have this debate. Um, and then outside of that, Illinois also gets to play Purdue at home a week from uh, tomorrow. So uh, Illinois still got a lot to, to – 
to show if they win out, they're going to clearly be a top four seed. So uh, that path is there. And I would say the same with Wisconsin because they're both uh, for me, they're number 17 and 18. So they're the top two five seeds right now. And Illinois, I'm sorry, Wisconsin also gets to play at Purdue on the last day of the season. And this is a time of year where it's all about what do you have left? What's the opportunity? Both of them have uh, tons of opportunity still. Good to, good to know. We will be watching that one shape up. Let's head to the SEC, where I think the story is is the protected seeds. Can there be a fourth protected seed in the SEC? Right now, uh, Tennessee, Alabama, Auburn, if you look at the bracket matrix, they're all relatively comfortably uh, on that you know top four line. But here comes Kentucky with maybe the best individual performance, Brad, by any team we've seen all season. Uh, against Alabama over the weekend. Just, you know, the type of showing that I think certainly make, would make a committee consider the eye test when it comes to Kentucky. And they do have you know some nice wins, Alabama game certainly, at Auburn, a huge victory for the Wildcats. So uh, do you view four protected seeds for this league as a potential reality? Yeah, I do. Uh, and I, in fact, I think Kentucky is uh, right there in contention to be a Final Four representative when it's all said and done in Glendale. I believe I said on, on this show last week, uh, they have found their identity defensively, uh, certainly shown market improvement there. Um, you know, started with Ole Miss, uh, obviously kicked in even harder there against Auburn on the road. Uh, you know, a little bit of a backward step when you face Alabama and also in a, in a, a tight spot there at LSU in which they lost on the last second shot there at the buzzer uh, but still you know, they played premium defense I believe in all four of those games matched together so if they continue to perform at a high level guarding the basketball we know the electricity we know the spunk that they have offensively uh, they can you know put up uh, all kinds of crooked numbers there especially from outside with three three-point shooters that are ending over 44 percent from distance so Kentucky five and five in quadrant one yeah you got the blemish there against UNC Wilmington as a quadrant three loss that they suffered a non-conference play uh, but that strength of schedule is probably going to break inside the top 50 it's at 54 right now non-con strength of schedule number 169 uh, not terrible by any stretch of the imagination and Kentucky will have additional opportunities here down the home stretch so uh, clearly a team in my estimation uh, towing that five six line could wind up as high as maybe a high end four possibly everything breaks right a low end three and one certainly if they're in your region as a one or two you're shivering in your as a result yeah 100 percent. that is the, that is a scary team in kentucky when they're playing their best um Rocco, you know, it feels like to, to, we have those four teams. We then have three that are relatively safely in the field, South Carolina, Florida, Mississippi State. And we've got two kind of around the bubble in Ole Miss and A&M. Is there room for both or, or you know, how, how, how much does it feel like there only one can really emerge? I know they play each other in the last game of the regular season and some kind of fortuitous scheduling for the SEC. Yeah, eight still feels right. Uh, like I said earlier, Ole Miss only has one loss all year against a team that's not projected to be in this field. Uh, so they're the best path. If Ole Miss can win that finale, and again, if they beat Alabama this week at home, 
that's going to be enough, I think, to make everybody feel good about not only putting them in and get them away from that cut line that's so dangerous for a team with the 328th ranked non-conference strength of schedule. Um, from Texas A&M standpoint, you know, from my perspective, uh, the bad is really uh, outweighing the the good right now. So they've got to finish hot, and they've got a tough, you know, they've got a tough finish here. So uh, again, they they get to play South Carolina, Mississippi State, both tournament teams at home, and again, you should. Be able to win home games like that if you're a tournament level team. If they win both of those and then go win at Ole Miss, or sorry, lose at Ole Miss and win at Georgia, that might be that crazy thread the needle formula that gets the SEC nine. But unless all of that happens, um, I, I just think Texas A&M already at 12 losses, um, probably, probably, you know, they're on thin ice. Let's just put it that way. So they almost need to, uh, they have to go three and one, and I think that would have to be the way they go three and one for the league to get nine. So uh, A&M, I'm not as confident on. Let's just put it that way. So someone in the SEC league office needs to go call people at the Mountain West and, and do some digging on the uh, bid maximization uh, strategies that the league has been able to so effectively employ so far. Uh, <laughs> let, let's wrap up the segment with the ACC. Uh, lots to get to here, but I think I would start, Brad, with, with Virginia, a team that has really been in a swoon of late offensively. Uh, you know, 49, 41, and 44 points in its last three games. They've lost three of their last four. Um, you know, look, this is not a, a terrible resume still, but the numbers not so kind for Virginia. I know they, they stayed above our last four in, first four out, but but how much danger is Virginia in right now? Yeah, they're uh, in a tough spot, and they got uh, work to do, obviously. I was looking at the betting market, actually, before the show, and uh, there is one house out there that has them at minus 138 odds to reach the NCAA tournament as an at-large. Uh, and I actually think it's a, a wager worth making uh, based on the overall body of work because we've already stated it time and time again and repeatedly, the bubble, as it normally is every single year, is sickly. And uh, Virginia does have some critical wins. Uh, yes, they have dropped three of their last four games, uh, but the quarter ones, I think, are there enough. Uh, three and three against quarter one competition uh, to propel them in. Uh, the remaining schedule goes as uh, such. They're at Boston College, uh, zero margin for error there. Got to win that one. Uh, and then if, let's say they do lose that, you got to make it up. Uh, with a potential victory at Duke and then against Georgia Tech. I think they're going to go 2-1 and one here down the home stretch. I think they're going to win maybe a game, possibly two, in the ACC tournament, and you're going to hear the Who's name called on selection Sunday. Uh, and a team, uh, honestly, guys, I can't get out of my head, the first half there against North Carolina, I said that, uh, I believe it set the game of basketball back about 150 years with a lack of scoring <laughs> as we normally see with Virginia and the shot clock uh, draining possessions uh, that they piled up in that game. But, yeah, right now I think they're on fairly solid ground. I got them as the projected number 10 seed, but as I mentioned, still more work to do. Rocco, any disagreement there? Certainly feels like winning at BC would would solidify their their hopes, or or if nothing else, stop the slide. Yeah, I largely agree because again, we're running out of real estate, and they've done enough good throughout the year to you know it's it's just all these other bubble teams behind them. They have to almost go four zero. And what we end up finding this time of year, every year, Kevin, is that te more teams will play themselves out of the way than play themselves in the way. So as long as Virginia just handles their business, two and one is fine with me. Uh, I'm sure there was plenty of real estate for them to still be one of the best 36 at large options for the committee. 
it will be interesting to see. So then that BC game important to, to, if nothing else, just stop the slide, right? Like there's make the tournament yeah. play good basketball. Now Virginia is not playing right. very good basketball. Uh, we'll see if they can, they can solidify things before they head into uh, selection Sunday and, and games that matter. Fun fact, Virginia has not won an NCAA tournament game since the night they won the national championship in 2019. Hard to believe, uh, but, you know, some, some factors in there, COVID, things like that. But uh, Virginia looking to end that draft this year, and we'll need to play a lot better offensively uh, to do that. Folks, last segment of the show when we come back is all chat questions. I know we've, we've had people in the chat asking questions for us all month. We're ready to answer them. So bring your questions, drop them down below on the YouTube chat. We will get to as many of them as we can here in the next 15 minutes when we come back from this break. You're watching Fielding the 68. Big news, guys. I am thrilled to announce that we have partnered with Autograph, a company founded by the GOAT himself, Tom Brady. The Autograph fandom app gives you access to the best college hoops content, fan contests, and exclusive rewards like discounted tickets, all for doing the things that diehard fans like you already do, following your favorite team in the news and listening to podcasts just like this one. When Tom, and yes, I am calling him Tom, we're on a first name basis these days, co-founded Autograph, he had one mission in mind, change the fan experience for the better. It works like this. You get all of your college hoops content you want in one place. You get articles from your favorite writers, pods from your favorite hosts, contests from your favorite creators, all on the feeds and the sites that you already enjoy. But instead of having to go to all these different places, it all comes to you in one spot, the autograph fandom map. But here's the best part. The more content that you consume, the higher you rank in the app. As you consider the level up in status on the app, you can unlock unique rewards curated exclusively for you. So download the free autograph app in the app store and use the referral code F68, that's F68, or tap in at the link in the description below or in the podcast app of your choosing to start earning points for doing something as normal as listening to this very podcast. It really is that simple. Bringing it home on Monday afternoon on Fielding the 68. That is Field the 68's Bracketology Show. We are brought to you, as always, by Rhythm. I am Kevin Sweeney, joined by Rocco Miller, Brad Evans. We are taking your questions for the final 15 minutes. So, again, drop those in the chat below. We will get to as many as we can. Uh, start here, Brad. Got a mid-major question. Uh, we talked about James Madison and Princeton, teams like that, that are hovering right around uh, that cut line potential to make the tournament if they do slip up in their conference tournament? Uh, are there teams that you have circled that could make the dance even if they slip up before Selection Sunday? Yeah, I mean, there's one team in particular I'm hoping makes a dance uh, because they've got characters, personality, and uh, arguably one of the best offenses in the land, and that's Indiana State. Um, you know, the Sycamores obviously did them zero uh, themselves, zero favors, uh, starting with the Illinois State debacle and that loss uh, but a team right now in some of the advanced analytics categories still very strong uh, number 33 right now in the net uh, they played a number 134 overall strength of schedule they're one and three against quarter one competition eight and four in true road games again he got a quadrant four l there on the resume 
uh, that's uh, downtrodden and obviously drags down the overall profile. But Indiana State, I think, would have some sort of a slight argument for a true mid-major. You know, I don't consider like a Gonzaga necessarily a mid-major uh, team based on its storied history. Uh, you could argue maybe FAU is uh, or is not a mid-major, but a true mid-major, I believe, are the fighting Larry Birds. And uh, just selfishly, I want to see them in the big dance because they're a ton of fun. They certainly are. And, and we'll see how some of these gaudy win-loss record teams are treated. Now, Rocco mentioned JMU, potentially, if they have that potent argument of, of only having you know lost two teams all season. One team that hurt themselves in that case last weekend was Grand Canyon. They had two losses to Tarleton and to Abilene Christian, fall from 24-2 and two to 24-4. and four. <laughs> Again, part of the, the challenge of being a one-bid league team or a mid-major team is just the reality that you know one bad weekend derails your 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 at-large hopes that that feels like what was the case for gcu uh but we will see what happens we have a uh bracket bracketing question in the weeds for rocco this is great uh rocco does the committee try to place teams outside the top 16 close to regional sites for travel purposes that's from kevin b can you take us through some of the bracketing principles there yeah, thanks, Kevin. We appreciate that question. So my understanding is uh, if you are a team wearing white or your home uniform, which is the first eight seeds, so the top 32 teams, uh, they will go off of the region site first. So this year, those four sites are Boston, Dallas, Detroit, and L.A. And so that would be kind of the closest to proximity. Now, once you get to the nines and below, and again, I've heard varying opinions on this part of it, so I don't want to say it in gold here. Um, but my understanding is it's either from the nine seeds on or from the automatic qualifiers on, they will aim to, to send you a little closer to your uh, first two rounds because of the fact that you are expected to not have as good of a chance to win that, that first game or especially those first two games. Um, but it could, it could be one or the other. So I'll leave it at that. We'll hopefully get some clarity from David Warlock. Cause I love that question. And then the other, um, uh, the other piece of it is it doesn't come up as much as you probably think it does, because when you get to your five, six, sevens, eights, nines, and you're from a league like the sec with eight teams or the big 10 with six teams or the big 12 with eight teams, <laughs> the bracket usually tells you you can only send that, that one team to one sp sp uh, specific place. Uh, so unless you're like a unicorn like Florida Atlantic from the American or an Indiana State or somebody like that where you, we can put you anywhere or even a St. Mary's, everybody else, they're already kind of uh, already di disqualified from a bunch of regions before you try to slot them. And that makes the job actually a little bit more straightforward. Excellent insight, Rocco. We appreciate you as always. Uh, Brad, on uh, from Alex B., we've got a question about Iowa State. Uh, that non-conference schedule seemed to hold them back when they played uh, or when they were uh, in the top 16 reveal. Uh, I believe they were 11th in that. But Alex B. wants to know whether Iowa State can get to the two-seed line. Yeah, I mean, obviously, they're going to need the uh, right dominoes to fall, and they're going to have to take care of their own business. Uh, but, yeah, there is an opportunity for them to obviously elevate. And you're right about the non-conference route, the schedule. That is uh, a major deterrent uh, there and an argument against them in the selection committee room at number 331 in non-conference SOS. 
uh, that's a major drag. But overall, because they play the rough and rugged uh, Big 12, uh, the number 35 in terms of strength of schedule, 6-4 and four against quarter one competition. Uh, no black eyes on the overall resume and a very respectable 4-4 four and four mark. Uh, in true road games. Uh, here are the opportunities remaining, obviously, against Oklahoma there at home. Coming up on Wednesday, then you're at UCF. Bit of a trap game there. Hopefully they won't fall into that pitfall and take care of business uh, there in Orlando. Then at home against BYU, which would satisfy all the computer metrics and geeks like me out there, uh, if they are able to beat them. <laughs> and then you're at Kansas State. So there are some opportunities here to add meat to the overall bone. And, of course, you've got the Big 12 tournament, which will just be chock full with opportunities Again, the right teams lose ahead of them. They will have a very strong argument to jump over somebody from that three line to the two C line. So still very much in play. Uh, it will be very interesting to see if they can they can finish strong. Certainly the, the Cyclones have looked the part uh, more, more often than not recently. Rocco, we've got a question in from Tyler P. Can any of these ACC teams make a run and get in? Syracuse, Pitt, or NC State? So we're looking for a sixth bid from the ACC. What say you? Well, I think Pittsburgh's got the best case uh, because they've already got wins at Duke and Virginia in the kitty. And now that home win over Wake, which many of us forgot about, is a third tournament-level win. So they're sitting here with three tournament-level wins out of seven tries. And the cool thing about Pitt is they're 7-4 and four in road neutral. It's such a nice and shiny road record when you look at the rest of the uh, Power 6 bubble teams. Um, so, so, And then you add an NC State win, which is another piece of silver, I guess you could call it, on the road. And 3-2 and two overall um, against the top two quads road record so that's a huge those are all amazing things for Pitt. here here's the kicker 344th non-conference strength of schedule so they're gonna really have to prove they belong anything close and they're out and they've got those two home losses to syracuse themselves and missouri uh which the missouri one's aging like you know horrible wine so uh, the, <laughs> my final thought my final thought here is they play at clemson this week if they win at clemson that might be so much uh, that's overwhelming for the committee that you got to find a place for them. And so I, I think that's their one avenue to get in. I think Syracuse and NC State themselves, unfortunately, just too far out of it. We'll have to we'll have to consult the sommelier to see how the uh, how, how the horrible wine of Missouri is aging right now. But I uh, appreciate you, Rocco, as always. Um, we got a question from Hood Legend. Hood Legend wants to know what Memphis's chances are to make the NCAA tournament. Brad, uh, are they back to life after that FAU result, or is it auto bid or bust for the Tigers? Uh, look, I think their chances of making the NCAA tournament are akin to mine uh, beating Cam Newton in a one-on-one fisticuffs brawl. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. <laughs> look, the, the Tigers, uh, yeah, nice win that they had over FAU, uh, but the resume overall just uh, filled with holes. Uh, let me give the details. You don't believe me. Number 79 in the net. Again, more of a sorting tool than anything else. Independently, not as valuable as you may think, but number, you know, top 100 overall strength of schedule, two and three against quarter one competition, both just kind of may. Uh, yeah, they're six and five in true row games. They played a non-con uh, of number 77 in strength of schedule. But here is the downside with the overall resume. Three combined quadrant three and four losses. So uh, I don't think they can really overcome some of those eyesores and with limited opportunities here down the stretch. Though they get FAU again, 
I think they're going to have to make a storied and deep run in the American Athletic Conference Tournament, get to the final, maybe fold your short to have any kind of argument in the selection committee room. But, uh, look, uh, I'm not buying it at all. Uh, like, I'm not buying the fact that Cam Newton's hat stayed on his head through that entire ordeal. That was amazing. Just like Cam Newton's brawl, it was a, it, it's been a wild ride to watch this Memphis Tigers season. So uh, things have been, things have been nuts. Seems like it's just getting started for the Tigers as it always seems to be. Uh, Rocco, we're going to get one last question in before uh, we, we head to our, our games to watch this week. Uh, this one's from I Love Jimmer. You might guess where this is going. How much has BYU's metrics helped them hold a top six seed line pretty much all season? A ton, uh, because they still to this day do not have a win away from home against a current a current tournament projected team. And like I mentioned earlier on the show, they're one in six in their seven true road opportunities against the top two quads. The one win coming against NIT bound, if they're lucky, UCF, right? So um, BYU is getting down to the end of their schedule like everybody else. And just a quick check here, they will have to um, finish up with – Road games against Kansas and Iowa State. <laughs> so are they going to get one? Odds are definitely against the Cougars there. Uh, now, they'll finish at home against TCU and Oklahoma State, where I fully expect them to win both because they're awesome at home. I like this Cougar roster. Nothing against them. We're all friends. Um, but uh, the bottom line is, as they play these games, if they go and get punched in the mouth at Fog Allen and punched in the mouth at Hilton Magic, um, a lot of those early season data points are starting to, like I said, they're starting to rot slowly. Uh, they're down to 18th in things like Ken Palm and Net, and they're straight. The resume is now in the 30s. So there's enough reason for the uh, the committee to debate them. Uh, anywhere from, you know, today they landed as my best seven seed. They're right on that six seven line. And again, seeding, they're they're still in a good spot for uh, predictives and all that. But uh, you could negotiate them down to as low as a nine or ten you know, if they get, if they get socked pretty hard in those two games. Yeah, BYU may be the best illustration of what you can do in the non-conference without playing a ton of big time opponents to solidify your NCAA tournament standing. They have been dominant uh, in those games, built up quite the, quite the metrics and then have just held serve at home as Rocco said to, to establish themselves as a potential NCAA tournament team. All right, folks, let's bring it home. We've got some big games to watch this week, obviously, as we head towards March 1st. Friday, March 1st is our next show, uh, 5.30 Eastern, as always. You can check us out on YouTube, uh, on Twitter, wherever you watch uh, the show. But between then, lots to get to tonight. Baylor at TCU seems like the headliner. Also Miami and North Carolina facing off. Uh, But, guys, what are you looking forward to this week? Start with you, Brad. Yeah, I think the game that uh, could really, uh, you know, shake things up overall here on, on my bracket big board and Rocco's projection, we already talked about the, uh, you know, must-win situation on the bubble uh, between St. John's and Butler. That game being played on Wednesday at 8.30 Eastern. So, uh, winner uh, still has a pulse. Uh, you know, may not propel off the bubble and in the projected field, uh, but the loser, I think, is done. Bury him. Uh, you know, put tombstone on, on the grave. I think it's going to be over uh, between the Johnnies and the Bulldogs, whoever emerges on the wrong side of that toe-to-toe matchup. And also that night, Alabama at Ole Miss. Uh, we talked about it uh, earlier. Rocco touched on that. If Ole Miss at home could hold home court, 
against the Crimson Tide. Uh, they're going to have a very strong argument uh, propelling themselves back into the field. So those are the two matchups I'm going to be glued to. And, of course, I will be betting on them. It should be fun to watch. It's going to be a lot to get to throughout the bubble. Rocco, any any games we missed? Any ones you would you would want to flag for for bracket purposes before we head into head into Friday? Yeah, I'll reiterate the Pittsburgh at Clemson game again. Pittsburgh's real only path, in my opinion, based on their non-conference strength of schedule being 344th, is to get clear of the cut line. That requires a win at Clemson. If you look at the rest of their schedule, it's easily their toughest game left. If they got that win, you'd be talking about a Pitt Panther team with wins at Duke, Virginia, and Clemson, three of the four hardest road games to get in that league uh, to go along with a home win over Wake and really good road records, which is so hard to find uh, on the bubble. Last but not least on Thursday, another shout-out. Actually, probably the overlooked game if you're Gonzaga. But don't overlook the San Francisco Dons playing a special night at the Chase Center. Uh, I've talked to Coach Gurlison over the weekend. I've talked to everybody in the program. They could not be more fired up for this game. It's also their last home game technically, um, even though it's uh, at a neutral court technically as well. Uh, The game will count for Gonzaga as a true road game on the resume is my understanding. So all sorts of implications. Um, Crowd will be awesome. Uh, So really looking forward to that on Thursday night, ESPN 2, 8 o'clock West Coast, 11 o'clock for you late night East Coasters. I will be a night owl and staff for that one. I think that that will be worth worth our time. Folks, it's been fun. Uh, Another another show in the books. Again, check out the full projected field on all of the fielding this uh, field of 68 social media handles we will post that here shortly uh but in the meantime folks we will see you all again on friday 5 30 eastern we'll be back with another updated bracket field until then appreciate y'all joining us on fielding 68